Well, good morning, friends. I want to say happy Mother's Day to you ladies and those who have had to act motherly to those that are the motherless and even for those that have always um, aspired to have kids but just aren't able to. You've been motherly to someone in your life. Just happy Mother's Day. I want you to know you are loved, you are cherished, and you are valued by the one true King, Jesus Christ, and our Heavenly Father. So, ladies, good job. Turn to someone around you and say, Happy Mother's Day. That's weird, guys, if you told a guy a Happy Mother's Day. It has a little treat. A lot of you ladies probably saw we have teas and lemonades for you. So if you didn't grab one, grab one on your way out. And uh, before I forget, we do have some food, some light breakfast items if you aren't eating until later. We got some fresh fruit, some cereal in the gym if you guys want to check that out as well. But um, I had many guys already ask me, Ryan, why do you get a tea? And I've been wished Happy Mother's Day three times already this morning. I think that qualifies, all right? So thank you, moms, for blessing me on Mother's Day with a tea. This is incredible tea, though. If you, I'm not a tea drinker, but... I won't tell you how many bottles I've had this morning of this tea. It's the Fiji apple and ginger. It is phenomenal. So please, ladies, grab, even if you grab one, just, it's all right. You can grab another one on your way out, all right? But happy Mother's Day to you all. And then I want to talk about two quick announcements. We're going to jump into this morning's teaching. Um, Number one is next Sunday. Right after second service is our local church conference. It's our local church meeting. So members, you're invited. Non-members, you can come too. But what we're going to do at this meeting for about 30 to 50 minutes, it's going to be right in the gym, right after second service, is we've got some things we have to vote on, okay? For instance, our fiscal calendar year for Radiant Life Church runs June to May. So at this meeting next week, right after second service, we're going to be voting on our new budget for the new fiscal year, so you'll get to vote on that. We have some positions that need to get filled within the church. For instance, our local board of administration, which is our LBA, our leadership team, that meet once a month. We have two people that come off. You're on for a three-year term, and we have two people, Von Metzger, Dave Northrup, roll off this year. You have a ballot. You'll be voting two more members on. I think there's five or four or five nominees right now. You'll be voting two members on. Uh, We've got trustees positions to fill. So we've got things like that that we want to hear your voice on as well. So we'll have some little snacks, light snacks for you, so you can have at least something to tidy over until lunchtime, okay? So that's next week. Also in June, which is right around the corner, we're three Sundays away from our first Sunday in June, we're going to launch a four-week teaching series titled Guardrails. And I'm so pumped for this series because you notice you never need a guardrail till you need it, right? We're not driving down the road hitting guardrails all the time. But you get in that one time when you need that guardrail and you're like, gosh, I'm so thankful that thing was there. What about in our own lives? Where do we need to set up guardrails before we cross the line and we do something we wish we never did before? So that's that series in June, okay? So guardrails. But this, this morning, we are in week two of our insecurity. And then next week, I'm going to wrap up our our time together next week with the idea of comparison. The comparison game is next week. But we'll, we'll do week two here. And if you missed week one, jump online at theradiantlife.church. Go under the media, and you can catch last week's message. 
for us. But if you got your Bible or you got a phone or tablet, turn to the Newer Testament in the book of John. And last week we did John chapter 20. This week we're going to do John chapter 21, the beginning. Next week we'll wrap up John chapter 21. We'll do the end of it. And as you turn there, and it'll be on the screen, I want to get us caught up just what's happening in the story before we jump in. Is that Jesus has died, Jesus has been buried, he's been resurrected after three days, and the disciples, his 12 disciples, the 12 closest friends that Jesus had, now there's 11 because Judas has gone and hung himself because he betrayed Jesus. Now there's 11. Jesus has appeared to them on two occasions so far after he's already been raised from the dead, twice. And all these occasions have happened so far in the city of Jerusalem. And this is a map of, the, of ancient Israel. And now Jesus is going to appear to the 11 disciples in the Sea of Galilee, this region up here. And in order to get from Jerusalem, where they are, to where the story is going to take place this morning in the Sea of Galilee, they have to journey. And this is the typical journey that you would take. You would do, go directly from Jerusalem, which go due east, and you will hit Jericho. When you get to Jericho, you hit north. The Jordan River's right there, and you're going to travel along the flat Jordan River Valley, it's so much easier to travel than trying to hike the mountains and the hills, and it, it would take you forever. But Jesus is going to only do two teachings for his disciples up here. Only two. And here's what's so significant. That is a hundred-mile trek on foot. And you're going to understand, why can't Jesus just do these two teachings right here in Jerusalem? He's going to make them go 100 miles for two teachings, and then they've got to travel 100 miles back. So significant conversation is going to take place. One of the conversations we won't touch on this morning up here is Jesus, it's found in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, where Jesus reminds his disciples, hey, Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That conversation takes place here. But the story we're going to get into, the second conversation, will also take place here. Here's a kind of a view of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this is, I climbed up Mount Arbel, and I was able to t capture this photo of the entire, this is like the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. You're looking east, which would, in the haze, if you go to Israel, it's always hazy over there and hot, but over in the haze, that's the country of Jordan, and so there you get a kind of a picture, right about midway where you see there's a lot more trees and maybe some buildings and then some goldy color, that is the city of Capernaum, which 80% of Jesus' ministry, that's like his home base, he does 80% of his ministry in this area, and so if you come with me to Israel when we go eventually, you will be able to climb this mountain, and I literally thought I was going to die. Like, I'm not, that's not even a joke. I thought I was in decent shape, but climbing that was my, for the 12 days I was there, that was the toughest trek I did was to get up here. And this is around the region that some of the activity that we're going to look at this morning takes place. So that gives us a great view of what's happening at the Sea of Galilee. So let's jump in. John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Afterward. Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, we talked about him last week, 
Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, who were James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So here John's telling us, there's 11 disciples left. Again, Judas has killed himself. There's 11 left, and all of a sudden, you get, there's seven disciples there fishing together. So you do the math right, there's four disciples missing. Where are they? I have no idea. The the Bible, the authors don't tell us any idea where the other four. I have a theory. This is my theory. It's not in the Bible. I think they're sleeping, right? What time of day? Is it day or night, right? And they're like, hey, the seven of us, we're going fishing. Good for you. I'm going to bed, right? That's my theory of where the other disciples are. They're sleeping. They're the smart ones, okay? So they're out fishing. And then you notice they're out at night. Why night? Because in the Sea of Galilee, the waters really cool off deep. The fish will come to the surface where it's a little warmer. And then the fish, because it's a different style of fishing that they did in the ancient world, they're able to capture the fish that are closer to the surface because the fish are rising. Also, you fish at night because then you can take your fresh caught fish and sell fresh fish in the market in the morning. You don't have to go salt it. You don't have to go and store it. You can go fishing all night in the cold and then go straight to the market early in the morning and sell your fresh fish. And so John's telling us there's seven of them out on the Sea of Galilee fishing at night and they have no reward for it. Verse 4 says this. Early in the morning... Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No. They answered. Now, can you imagine how disappointing this is? You've been fishing all night. Nothing. And here's what Jesus is going to say. Throw your nets on the right side of the boat. And you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, in order to truly appreciate what's happening in this story, we have to understand what fishing is like around the Sea of Galilee. How many of you enjoy fishing? Any of you? Okay, some of you. How many of you are like, I don't care about fishing? All right, and the real, real hardcore fishermen are out fishing right now, okay? That's where we're at. But we have to understand, because our problem is we take our 21st uh, Western eyes and try to apply it to this story. We have to understand how did they fish in the ancient world and what was happening around the Sea of Galilee during this time. So I want to show you Sea of Galilee, fresh body of water, beautiful 13 miles north to south, 7 miles west to east, and the hot spot of all fishing takes place around these cities on the west, northwest side and the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. Those are just the hot spots for fishing. Here you have Capernaum, which is Jesus' home base for his ministry, significant city there. You have Magdala. This is where if you were going to salt fish, This is the city that you salted your fish in. 
If you know any of the biblical story of Jesus' life, Mary Magdalene, she is from this city, Magdala. You can hear the linguistic uh, similarities there. That's where Mary Magdalene is from. And then you have this city over here on the western side called Tiberias, the largest city in the Sea of Galilee, extremely Greco-Roman city. And during the time of Herod the Great, if you were here with us in December, we looked at Herod the Great during the, the Christmas story. Herod the Great was really, to be frank, he was kissing butt to the Roman government. And he said, hey, Emperor Tiberius, look what I created you. A city named after Emperor Tiberius and named it, Ti- or Emperor Tiberius and named it Tiberius. Yeah, that makes sense, right? I was confused for a minute. All right. So <laughs> there it is. It's the largest city. What's neat about the Sea of Galilee is there are 18 species of fish in this freshwater thing. Ten of them are used commercially. Of the species of fish, they're divided into two groups. And it's going to get, I have to get kind of heavy and technical for a minute for us to truly grasp this story, okay? Can I do that? So if you take notes, take notes fast. I'm going to try to push through really quick. Two groups. The first group of fish in the Sea of Galilee is known as the large group. They are divided into two groups. The biny fish, which have little whiskers around their mouths, or the must fish. Those are the fish that have like a a comb as a dorsal fin. Kind of most of our fish that we see would be lumped in that. So that's the large group of fish. What do you think the other group is called? No. No, I'm kidding. You're right. It's called the small group. Not really scientific. It's large group, small group. That's what it is. The small group only has one type of fish in it. It's the sardines. The large group, the most sought-after fish in the Sea of Galilee is the tilapia. It's the number one fish that fishermen are after. So two groups. Large group, small group. High after tilapia, eh, sardines, okay? Two groups. So how did they fish? Because we think fish, we think pole, hook, worm, bluegill, all right? They did what's called the cast net. This was an 18-foot by 20-foot wide net. The top of it had corks, so the net would float. The bottom, you would tie rocks or stones so it would sink down. And then you had a diver that would go down and gather the rocks up and kind of clump them together and come up to the surface. And then you brought the rest there in the boat. You grabbed the corks and you, that was your fish. That's the way that they fished in the ancient world. There's another way, but we don't get that in this story. This was the way the story was happening. There's reasons how we know that because Jesus says just throw your fish, throw your net on the other side. The other way requires more boats and you actually like make circles with your net and stuff. But Jesus is obviously saying, hey, throw the net on the other side. They're doing the cast net system of fishing. Here's just a quick awesome picture for you of a boat that would have Jesus and his disciples would have used during the times of fishing. Uh, Archaeologists have found actually the base of one of these boats buried within the Sea of Galilee. They preserved that. You can go see that um, in the museum in Israel, and you can go see this replica on the Sea of Galilee. But yeah, they don't sit there with a little motor behind the boat. You know, they're sitting there, wind, oars, and everything. That's how they get around. Almost done with the information. Sea of Galilee, you have this major city. It's small, but it's called Tabagah. 
what happens here in Tabagah is this is the hot spot for all the fish. Why? In Tabagah, you have seven springs that dump into the Sea of Galilee, and they're extremely warm springs that dump. So as the springs at Tabagah dump into the Sea of Galilee, it's creating this tropical atmosphere for the fish to come to shore. It was the main spot at the Sea of Galilee that you fished in. The fish loved coming here. That's Tabagah. And what's interesting is we know this story takes place during the springtime. How do we know that? Passover just happened a couple chapters earlier that John just told us, Passover. Passover is a Jewish festival always celebrated in the spring. So we know it's not summer, it's not fall, winter, it's springtime. It just happened. What do the fish in the Sea of Galilee do during springtime? Spawn. Only one group spawns, the large fish. They go off in pairs, and they tend to travel towards Bethsaida, which some of the disciples are from. This is a fishing village. They tend to go in pairs up here, and the sardines are the only fish in the Sea of Galilee during the springtime that stays in their schools. Are we starting to get what's going to happen here? We've got to understand this in order to get the picture of what, how awesome this story is. And then on top of it, get this picture. Um, this is Tiberius in the background there. You can see the city up on the hill, huge bustling city. I'm on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. We're looking west. And this is about sunset, but our story is taking place early in the morning. But this will give you an idea that they're about 100 yards offshore. Remember, they, they don't know who's there. They don't know it's Jesus. They just see this figure, which would make sense because it would be kind of hard to get all the facial features of who's standing 100 yards away from me early in the morning as we're fishing. One last clue, and then we're going to jump back in. The last clue is in, in verse 11. It tells us it was, a it was full of what kind of fish? Large fish. We know what group it is. It's the tilapia group, it's that group, it's not the sardine group. But what we now know is that what are the large fish doing? Spawning in pairs, not schools. Oh. See, 153 is a large number of fish, but it's not unusual in their time. See, the miracle, the miraculous catch in this story is not the number. But you sit there and you realize this entire story Biblically, scholarly, they believe it's the wrong fish. You're there actually in springtime. The only fish you can catch with your cast nets are sardines. Because the other pairs are in pairs. You don't catch 153 of this other fish by throwing your net over the other side. It's the wrong fish with the wrong net because you fish for sardines with a lighter threaded net. That's why the author John says the amazing thing, the net did not tear because you fish for large group fish with a thicker netting. They're on the wrong side of the boat. They're professional fishermen. They know how to fish, and they're just believing this figure on the shore that's 100 ways, 100 yards away from them. They've been fishing, and Jesus is like, all right, just throw it on the other side. 
wrong side of the boat. They're in the wrong area of the lake. Where are the large fish? They've gone up there to spawn, and the story's taking place around Tabakot. They're in the wrong area of the lake to catch the, these large fish. It's the wrong time of day because they fish at night, and their catch came early in the morning, and it's the wrong time of year because the only fish you're catching in the springtime around the Sea of Galilee is sardines. You're not catching large fish. That's the miracle and the miraculous catch that is happening in this story. Does this make sense now? 153 is a lot of fish, but that's not the miracle that's happening. Everything in this picture is wrong of what they're doing. Now let's jump in back to John 21, verse 7. Then Jesus, oh, I'm sorry, then the disciple whom Jesus loved which this is John, he's referring to himself, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Now why is he the one without his outer garment? Because more than likely, Peter's the diver. Because when you fish at night, it gets cold on the Sea of Galilee, the, at, in the ancient world, you wore an inner garment and an outer garment. He's the only one with his outer garment off. Why? Because he's diving in to gather, gather the rocks of the net and bring it back up. Does that make sense now? Because you sit there and read the story, you're like, okay, he just took it off. Well, the, the writer's telling us because he's the diver of the story. That's why he jumped into the water. He doesn't care. He's already wet. He's been jumping in all night, getting nothing. He can jump into the water. And then it says, the other disciples followed in the boat. Why? Because they're smart. They're not getting wet. All right? We've been dry the whole night. Peter, you're the diver. You're wet. Just jump in, okay? They followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. And then that's where they're going to meet Jesus on the shore in the Sea of Galilee. Now, there's something incredible happening in this story. See, it resonates with another story that happened earlier in the lives of the disciples. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read to you, and it's not going to be on the screen. I'm going to read to you Luke 5. It's called the calling of the disciples because we have to understand the parallel in order to fully grasp the story. I'm a Bible geek. Turn to your neighbor and say he's a geek. But I like him. That was a whole lot less than he's a geek. <laughs> Let me read Luke chapter 5. Jesus calls his first disciples. And look at the similar elements in these two stories. On the day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gessonet. It's the same lake. It's the Sea of Galilee. It's just another word for it. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, we'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. 
So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, and I put these words on the screen for you all. Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will, what are these three words together? Fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore left everything and followed him. Do you see the parallels between these two stories? And here, the disciples, in a place of fear and insecurity, because the person that they followed for three and a half years, their Jesus, their rabbi, has been destroyed by the criminal's cross. They thought he's done with, and they went back to what they knew. They knew fishing. It's what Jesus called them from in Luke chapter 5. It's what they were doing, and they went back to what they knew. Fishing was their passion. And in our story, Jesus is reminding them, hey, come to shore. Remember, disciples, that moment when you were out fishing and caught nothing all night? Remember how I told you to throw your net out there, and it was a large number of fish you caught? Remember that? Now I'm doing the same thing with you because you allowed fear and insecurity into your life and I'm calling you again to my movement, my kingdom on earth. And Jesus in the same words, throw it on the other side of the boat. Large number of fish, it's, the net is miraculous, it's not going to tear. It's the exact same story. And you know what's awesome? What does Jesus do in the midst of it? He's reminding them of who they are because they let fear and insecurity creep into their heart. And I think for a lot of us, that's where we're at. We can resonate. We realize the mom that God really called us to be, to be that woman. But we allow comparison to creep in and we compare ourselves to other mom and other women and we're not quite as good and it looked like they got their kids around and at least they're not rebelling, and, but my kids are. We start comparing ourselves and we allow insecurity to creep in. We know we're supposed to be the dad that we're called to be, the mom, the husband, the wife, the teammate, whatever it is, but we allow our insecurities when we don't see it being played out the way we want it to, we allow insecurity to creep in. Or maybe it's a vocation, a career that you know God has called you to, a dream and a vision he's placed on your heart, and you realize that may be too big, and you begin to just step back and say, no, nah, God, I don't know if you really said that, and you allow insecurity to come in. See, we're exactly like the disciples in so many ways. We allow fear to creep in, and we allow our insecurities to sabotage who God created us to be. But the story continues. And this is actually one of my favorite parts of the story. Verse 9 says this. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Now hold on. 
Did you see what happened? What does Jesus already have? He's got the fire going. There's already fish on it. He's already cooking everything they need. But then he's like, hey, <laughs> I had fish all along. <laughs> Bring me some of your fish. He doesn't need it. He already has the fish there. I just thought that was fun. Am I the only one? Okay. All right. Told you I'm a geek. All right. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. The thing I love about Jesus in this moment is, yes, disciples, you weren't doing what God, what Jesus originally called you to do. No longer fish for fish, you're going to fish for people. And where did Jesus find them in their insecurities? Back on the water, fishing. And Jesus, in the midst of that, could have said, you know what? I'm ticked off at you, disciples. I'm just mad at you. I'm going to just be irate and let my wrath go upon you. He didn't do that. What did he do? Let's just eat together. I remind you of that vision that I called you to. Just come and hang out on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and let's eat fish and bread together. I want to wrap up with a question pertaining to our insecurities. What do you need to address on the shore? Is it your past? Is it your failure? Is it your pain? Is it an addiction? Is it that insecurity that's holding you back? Last week we said we got to go back to resolve our insecurity. You got to go back to that event. Now it's sitting there going, I'm back to that event, Jesus. I need to invite you into this moment on the shore with you. You're not going to condemn me. You're gonna do, I just need to be with you right now. I just have to address these things. Jesus, will you just remind me of who I am again? Will you remind me of that dream and vision you gave me a long time ago? I just need to hang out with you, Jesus. What do you need to address on the shore? For the disciples, they forgot their calling. Maybe for some of us, we have too. Don't allow insecurities to sabotage who God created you to be. God's good, is he not? And may we be people who do not allow the insecurities of our lives to sabotage what God wants to do in us and through us. Let me say a blessing over you as we close this morning's service. I want to, it's a prayer that the Jewish people would have said every morning and night that Jesus would have said, I'm going to say it in Hebrew, then say it in English so we actually understand what's being said, but I want to say a blessing over you. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Eloweka, 
בכל אבקה ובכל נפשך ובכל מאודיך, ואהבת לריאקה כמוך, אמין. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. May you go and live like Jesus and share his love. Don't forget, ladies, teas, lemonades, food in the gym. Go and be radiant.